But this week, as Advent begins, we start our new series called Unsinkable. And this series, as we prepare our hearts for Advent, and as Tom preaches, where we discover the core truths of Christianity, the core principles that we can build our firm foundation on. So as we begin that, pray with me now. Our Father and our God, we come to you, Lord. Lord, we come to you now just on this Sunday, this first Sunday of Advent, Lord. We just ask you to come and meet us. We ask you to step into our lives, to, to just make room for you, Lord, right now. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on this place, that the words Tom says through your word um, would hit home as we discover and we look at what is truth, Lord. Um, Lord, really speak to us. Have your Holy Spirit come down, be with us, and meet with us this morning. Jesus, now I pray. Amen. 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 Well, I hope as we sing the songs of the Christmas season, really of the Advent season, that you guys are are tuned into the lyrics. I think, you know, one of the things happens is if, if you grew up in the church, you have sung all these songs and you know them really well, and you miss just how profound these lyrics really are. I mean, you know, come thou long expected Jesus. What is that designed to do? Well, as Ryan talked about, I thought brilliantly, it's designed to put us in touch with our longings for Christ. It's designed to put us in touch with the fact that God has given us the hope that one day all things will be made right. Why? He sent Jesus once in fulfillment of his promises. He's promised to send him again, and he'll do that. That is the truth. And today, as we enter into the Advent season, we have four Sundays in Advent. We're entering into a season in which we're going to be doing a series, as, as Will just talked about, that we're calling Unsinkable. And I'm really excited about this series. I love the things that we're going to be talking about, but I want to tell you why I really, really love it. I really, really love it uh, because we are doing it together with about 45 other churches here in South Florida. That, to me, is absolutely amazing. If you've been around Rio for the last three or four years in particular, hopefully one of the things that you have picked up upon is that one of the things that God's Spirit is doing here in this community is He is bringing the church together. He's bringing us together across denominational lines, across racial lines, across socioeconomic lines. He's breaking down barriers and relationships that used to have existed and never should have. It's remarkable, like he is awakening an awareness within us that, you know, for all that we disagree upon, it's probably about this much. For all that we agree upon, it's probably about this much. And I'm not saying that the this much doesn't matter. I'm just saying let's not forget about the this much. And we are not co competitors. We are a Christian family. And together we have been given a mission to take Jesus, this hope of the world, to the rest of our community here in South Florida, which is one of the most strategically important communities in the world. We are an international community. We are an amazingly, beautifully diverse community. And by the way, we're an amazingly and beautifully diverse church in the midst of this community. It's... It's a unique privilege to be able to do that. And so the leadership team, sort of the, the shepherds, if you will, of this movement called Church United, we got together and we said, all right, so what do we as the family of God need in order to be able to do that most strategically and most effectively? And so we said, well, one of the things that we need to do, one of the things that we need to engender in our people and have in our own selves is an unsinkable faith because that's a difference maker. It won't make us different from other Christians but it will make us different from everyone else. Like when my neighbor, who perhaps has more of what the world says that you need to have to be an unsinkable person, looks at me and goes, good grief, man, I have more of this and more of that and more of this and more of that. And, I, you know, I'm better looking than you and I'm smarter than you and I'm this and that, you know, I'm all of this stuff. And yet my life is imploding. And even though you have more stuff going on, yours isn't. The difference is Jesus. He's the one who makes the difference in all of our lives, if we let him. And so we said, all right, well, what are the ingredients of an unsinkable life? Because let's just break them into four. 
Let's talk about those things. So the first of which uh, is truth. And so one of the things that Beth and I decided that it would be good for me to do years and years ago, now probably 10 years ago now, is to do like a dad trip with our kids. So each one of my kids gets to do a dad trip with me. It's usually around the junior, senior year of high school. And Morgan, who is 25 now, is our oldest, and she got to go first. And so we decided, because we're not campers and we're both afraid of heights, um, to go camping and rappelling and rock climbing. And... (laughs) Which makes no sense, you know? Like, I, I, I know that a lot of you guys are campers, and I totally affirm that. Like, I experienced the power of the camping experience together with her and loved that aspect of it. Uh, and I love the outdoors. I, I love to go hiking, do a lot of those kinds of things. I just highly value a bed and really value a bathroom, and I like air conditioning. And that... And I was raised in that kind of family, you know, so we just didn't do that. You know, I was a Boy Scout for a couple of years, and uh, and then I did the second, I guess, camping trip, and then it dawned on me that this is what Boy Scouts do, and then I quit. Um, <laughs> but the funny thing is my parents were with us at Thanksgiving, and my dad was actually a part of that second camping trip. It was a father-son trip, and we woke up. It was a three-night, like, four-day deal, so we got there, we went to sleep, we'll put that in quotes, and, and, and I mean, and it was a deal with, I mean, it was a tent with a wood floor and cots. Like, it was almost glamping, okay? So we got up the next morning at like six o'clock. My dad wakes me up and he says, get your stuff, we're leaving. I'm like, we're leaving? What do, what do you mean we're leaving? He's like, get your stuff, we're leaving. So we left and then we checked into a Hilton. <laughs> ate at nice restaurants. We rented a boat. We went up the St. Lucie River. Camping for my family was the Holiday Inn, okay? So that's the deal. And so it's just not in me, but I, I started talking to this friend of mine from Focus on the Family, he works there, and he said, look, you know, I've got you this exclusive, by invitation only, adventures in fatherhood, focus on the family thing. By the way, my friend could like teach you how to be an adventure person, and he does this stuff all the time. Like he brags about how good his barbecued raccoon tastes. I'm like, you're just crazy. But anyway, he's like, no, 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 you don't knock it till you try it. And I'm, anyway, no. But he's like, I've got this thing, it's amazing, and it's really strategic, and you spend time with your child, and like all of these activities are built around relationships, and they give you talking points, and you have alone time together, you create a blessing for your child, which you read around the campfire the last night, and you weep, like, copiously, like, that was amazing, okay? And it was incredible and well put together and all of that, but here's how he got me. He said, it's expenses paid, man, for you it's free. I'm like, that's it, I'm in, we're going camping. We're going camping. Even the flights, like, covered, which is really nice of the Lord, actually. It's amazing how many times that kind of thing happens. It's, he spoils us in that regard. So we went, and I'll show you some pictures. Um, here's a picture of Morgan, and this is kind of like at the outskirts of our campsite. I don't know if you guys can see this, but uh, there's like a cliff behind her in a beautiful valley. It's amazing. The next picture is this picture of this big rock that was right next to our campsite. And so that's some of the people that we were with. You know, we'd go up there at night, and we'd watch the sunset and whatnot, which was kind of cool. It was five dads, five daughters, two guides. Uh, the next picture, uh, we look happy because we haven't left yet. We just, <laughs> we just have our packs on, and, and we, haven't, we haven't left. The next picture, <laughs> that's when they explained the bathroom policy to us right there. And I will not give you the details of it. I will just say that it's designed in such a way as to leave no evidence that any human was ever there. So imagine how that works its way out, and you'll probably be most of the way there. But, but the next one, the last picture, is a cliff. And 
I don't know. This is standing like way back from the cliff, if you can see it. And if you look all the way up at the top, that's a person. So that sort of scales it for you, okay? The culminating event of the camping, repelling, rock climbing, and I'm afraid of heights and so is she trip was that we repelled from there all the way down. Actually, the most terrifying part was getting there. So to get there, we had to go around this like mountainous rock, and on the other side of this mountainous rock, it just went down like thousands of feet. And the adventure people had kind of figured out that maybe this wasn't our thing, you know, at this point in the deal. Like, they had seen us rock climb the previous day on a tiny rock compared to this, and I, like, I made it halfway up, and, and I said, you know what, I'm just going to come down, you know? And the guy's like, no, no, you can't come down. I said, no, no, I'm, I'm coming down. He's like, no, no, the next handhold's right here. I'm like, listen, man, I'm telling you what I'm doing next, okay? So I'm coming down. I love you. I'm going to hug you when I get there, but I'm not asking for your permission. I'm done. This is it. I'm coming down. So they separated us off from the other four dads and daughters, and they sent, they sent them up first with their guide, and it took forever to get to the top. And then they kind of gave us our own guide because they thought if these guys freeze up, it's going to mess it up for the whole group. And so we eventually made our way to the top. I mean, it was we're knees bleeding. like So we're the last people to arrive. And we get up on top of this cliff, and everybody's waiting for us. Uh, and then the guy who's in charge of the camp, his name is Tom also, says, Tom, how are you feeling? And I said, Tom, I am talking myself out of a panic attack right now. I said, if I could physically express what's happening in here, I would flip over on my stomach and I would grip this rock with everything, including my teeth. <laughs> like, I want to get off this cliff so bad, I cannot even begin to describe to you how bad. And he said, then you and Morgan are going to go first. I said, fantastic. I want to go right now, <laughs> right now. And he said, no, not, not yet. You know, I've got to explain how to do it. And then he gave us this long geography lesson. This is this mountain. I'm like, take a picture. Show me at the bottom. You know, like, <laughs> let's go. We got to get out of here. I mean, this is, I'm dying up here. <laughs> so they let us go first. And we repelled from where that person is all the way down to the bottom. And not like as a joke or anything, but in sincere appreciation and as an act of worship, we kissed the earth when we, we landed on the ground. Because we were so grateful to be down. So here's my question, okay? And, and the answer is not as immediately obvious as it seems. Uh, what got us from up there to down here? Because what you want to say is the rope. In reality, it was the truth about the rope. It was knowing the truth about the rope that got us from point A to where we really wanted to be, which was point B, because what happened is when we're up there on the cliff and he's explaining how this whole thing's going to do and you got this little figure eight like doohickey thing, you know, like that's the technical term, by the way, doohickey. If you're a hiker, repeller, you know that. And, you know, and then he's talking about it. He took the rope and he said, I want you to look at the rope. I want you to feel the rope. The rope's in good condition. Check out this rope. This rope has a maximum weight bearing capacity of 5,000 pounds. He said, I can hang a car off the side of this cliff with this rope. And in fact... As we were going off, like our feet are up against the lip of the cliff, like what's behind us and underneath us is from there to there, 
they have two of these ropes on us, like a safety rope and this rope. Like, we need two, I guess. And I said to the guy, I said, hey, man, listen, you know, we, we have anxiety issues and we're both hyperventilating right now. So here's the deal. Like, if we pass out, you will just lower our lifeless bodies to the ground, right? True story. He said, that's right. I said, then one way or the other, we'll see you at the bottom. Which really illustrates the first truth about truth that I want you to see today. It's just the truth matters. Truth matters. And it matters in repelling. You know what else? It, it matters. And it matters so much in life. What you believe to be true in life establishes the values by which you'll live your life. It establishes the purpose for which you live your life. It establishes whether or not, in your mind at least, your life even matters. Like, if there's any significance at all to you or the way that you live. Am I loved? That's a truth question. Am I valuable? That's a truth question. Am I safe and secure? That's a truth question. Am I content or satisfied with my life, or will I never be content or satisfied with my life? That's a truth question. Truth is the difference between hope and hopelessness. It's the difference between joy and sorrow. And it's the difference, incidentally, irrespective of our circumstances. And when I come to the end of my life, and when you come to the end of your life, or when we experience that with someone we love, maybe someone we love most, it's either there for us to hang on to, or it's not. Truth matters. But the second truth about truth is that truth, by definition, is something that must come from outside of us. Just think about the rope. All right, the objective truth about that rope is that it had a weight-bearing capacity of 5,000 pounds. And that was objectively true, incidentally, for me. It was objectively true. It is for you. It's objectively true for every person on planet Earth, whether any person on planet Earth believes it to be true or not. Why? Because it doesn't come from in here. I don't get to decide the weight-bearing capacity of the rope. It comes from out here. However, I will say this. When you take it from out here and you believe it in here and you act on it and live it out in here, it will get you from the top of the cliff to where you want to go. And it will do it safely. It did it for person after 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 person. It's irritating. After person after person after person after person. Tom, you've made your point. After person after person after person after person. Stop. After person after person after person after person. Seriously. After person after person. Hang on. After person. I'm almost done. After person. One more. After person. I lied. After person. What am I saying? Everyone who believed the truth and who acted on it. Same thing happened. It comes from out here, truth. It doesn't come from in here. We don't get to decide for ourselves what it is. It either is or isn't. And it is or isn't for all of us whether we believe it to be true or not. And if you just think about that idea, this idea that truth necessarily comes from out here as opposed to generated by me and here, it has to be the case. I mean, just reason through it logically. I hope today that we can all agree that Socrates was one of the most brilliant people who ever lived. I, I think that he was. Through his disciple Plato and his writings, okay, Socrates gave rise to the conversation which then created Western civilization in large part. Amazing, brilliant Man, one of his most famous statements, maybe the most famous, 
is this. He says, I only know that I know nothing. I know one thing, and here's what it is, that I know nothing. I want you to think about that with me for a minute. Like, what is he talking about? He's saying, unless you know absolutely everything about everything, then you cannot with absolute certainty know absolutely anything. Socrates is saying, look, I, Socrates, really believe, I think I know that my name is Socrates, but it actually might not be Socrates because, I mean, you know, look, it may be that my mother, when she died, bequeathed a chest of drawers to my cousin, and one day my cousin opened the bottom drawer of the chest of drawers and there found this notebook that had been, like, taped to the underneath of the previous drawer, the one above it, and she opened it up and discovered that this is my mother's long-lost journal, and she brings me my mother's long-lost journal, and in my mother's long-lost journal I discover that I was adopted and my real name is Bill. They change it to Socrates because it's easier to spell, I guess. You know, like, and not only that, but I thought I was born a Greek genetically. I'm not. I'm Persian. And not only that, I thought my birthday was December 1 of the year 496 B.C. But what I discovered is that my parents didn't know what my birthday was. They just said, ah, oh, the kid looks like he's four months old. So backdated. You know, what was that? That's December. We'll make it the first. But what if I was just a big kid? Really, I was three months old. So now they're not just off on the day, they're off on the year. You say, well, Tom, you know, today is December 1 of 2019, and I would agree with that. And you say, well, I know that 100% certain of that. Well, the whole world is, is certainly working off of that, so it would be good for us to work off of that as well. But are you? How can you be? I mean, what if the person who calculated the calendar miscalculated the calendar? Did you know, by the way, that that's happened in history? We're in A.D. 2019. A.D., what is that? Anno Domini, what is that? Year of our Lord. So it's, it's dated from the birth of Jesus. You know, they, they've recalculated the birth of Jesus, and so now they think he was born in A.D. 3 or 4. Oops. <laughs> Get the idea? You're like, but I know that I'm here, and I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm sitting, and I'm listening to you, and I'm starting to doubt your intelligence. And, and so I know that. How do you know that? Maybe this is a dream, and you're about to wake up and confess to your wife that you were doubting my intelligence, but I told you it was a dream, and now you've woken up, and you need to apologize. I mean, I realize this is straining credulity a bit, but we're talking about absolute certainty as opposed to pretty doggone sure. Socrates says, look, I only know one thing, and that's that I know nothing. And the reason I know nothing is because I don't know everything, and you need to know absolutely everything if with absolute certainty you're going to come to know absolutely anything. Truth is something that by definition must come from outside of us, and if you think about it, it has to come from someone who knows absolutely everything, which is what makes Jesus and the Bible so compelling. Because who is Jesus? Well, if you believe the Bible, and I'll come back to that in a second, then Jesus is the great creator, all-knowing God. Supernaturally conceived, come into the world as one of us to do what? Because we'll talk about it. We'll hear it from his mouth to testify to the truth. And now maybe you're thinking, well, Tom, you had me until right now. Like I, I felt like we were having a semi-intelligent conversation about truth, and then you said, if you believe the Bible, and then it was sort of like you went off the cliff, no rope. Like, And I heard you go, ah, and then because you have anxiety issues, you passed out and you just got quiet, and then you just hit the ground, which would be merciful 
if that's the way that it worked, why should I believe the Bible? And frankly, I spent a whole message on that. Message number one in the 21 question series, all online, where I took the whole time of the message and said, all right, let's talk about that. Go listen to it. But I want to add an argument that I didn't make then. And it's the argument of experience. One of the other truths about truths is that truth proves itself out in experience. And again, it proves itself out in experience in repelling. And it proves itself out in experience with life. You remember? Person after 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 person had the same experience. Which is that as terrifying as it felt to go over that cliff, I mean, the the rope holds 5,000 pounds and you have two of them on you. You're totally fine. There have been about 1.4 billion people who have confessed Christ in the last 2,000 years. And let me tell you the truth about their experience, because truth proves itself out in experience. When you take Jesus, who is himself the truth, and you take the words that he says, the Bible that he gives to us, and you take it from out here and you bring it in here, it changes you. It changes you. And if by his spirit and humility you build your life upon him and his truth, your life becomes more and more unsinkable. Truth proves itself out in experience, but but we're not always interested in the truth. And I think that that's, that's really another story. Jesus came into the world to bring the truth, guys. He testifies to that at the end of his life. Who does he testify it to? He testifies it to Pilate. What does Pilate then do? Pilate crucifies him on a Roman cross. Why does Pilate crucify him on a Roman cross? Because he's not interested. I mean, that's really it. Sometimes we don't recognize the truth when it stands in front of us, as Jesus did Pilate, and sometimes we hear the truth, we recognize the truth, but we all understand intuitively what the truth requires of us. Like if I take the truth who is Jesus and his word from out here and I bring it in here, it is immediately going to be the only unsinkable thing in my world and in my life, and it is going to require that I, the one who knows nothing, unless the one who knows everything tells me about it, Build my life around it. Orient my life upon it. Bend everything and and everyone toward it. I, well, I have to make that the rock upon which my life is built. We, We get that. And then we look at our lives and we think, huh, do I want to do that? Does that seem like a good idea? And yet... And experience proves this out too. The, the results of not doing that are absolutely tragic. Think about Pontius Pilate. You know, the, the problem that we have in thinking about Pilate is that we kind of know his story. And we've been to church and maybe Sunday school and we've heard the Christmas story typically. And we understand Pilate's the bad guy. I've even kind of said that. He crucified Jesus on a Roman cross. We're like, well, we're not like him. Hang on. Think about Pilate for a minute because Pilate in his day, in this moment in history that we're talking about, had absolutely everything that most of us are trying to get because we think if we get these things, well, then our life will be unsinkable. He had power. He had position. He had possessions. He had privilege. He had prestige. All these things that start with a P. He had all of these things that most of us are chasing hard after. 
You know how his life ended? He killed himself. And depending upon the account you believe, they took his body and just threw it in the Tiber River. That brings us to another truth about truth, which is that if you don't have the truth, then in the end you discover that for all that you do have, you really don't have anything. The Jewish religious leaders arrested Jesus. They falsely charge and try and convict Jesus of a crime punishable by death under their law. And then they bring Jesus to Pilate because for all of the powers of self-government that they had as Roman-occupied citizens, they did not have the power to put people to death. So they need for Pilate, the Roman procurator, the, the governor of Judea, to do this for them. And the reason they do this, ironically, and I say that because they're the enemies of Pilate politically, and he is their enemy. They cannot stand each other, are really all the same reasons that Pilate does it. They see Jesus as a threat. He threatens their power. He threatens their position. He threatens their privilege. He threatens their possessions as a result. He's a threat to their real gods. It's kind of an interesting sort of filter, isn't it? It's sort of like, okay, where do I see Jesus as a threat? Because maybe that reveals some idolatry in me. Maybe it shows a false god. But they bring Jesus to Pilate, and after they get nasty with each other, John tells us in John 18, verse 33, that Pilate entered his headquarters again, and he called for Jesus to come inside so that he could question him privately. And his question is telling. He says to him, are you the king of the Jews? Because if there was something the Roman emperor would not tolerate, it was a rival king. Rival kings were killed. So is that who you're claiming to be? And then after some back and forth with Jesus, we get to verse 37, and Pilate says again, so you are a king. And Jesus answered and said, you say that I'm a king, which sounds awkward, I understand. But what he's saying is, you are correct in saying that I'm a king. However, I'm not the kind of king you need to worry about. And the reason for that is because of the way I advance my kingdom. I don't advance my kingdom by the sword. That's what Rome's concerned about. Therefore, that's what you're concerned about. I advance my kingdom by a different and far more powerful means through the proclamation of the truth that I alone, because I am the embodied God who knows everything, that I alone can with certainty state. Jesus says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Well, what's the purpose? To bear witness to the truth. And then he says something, That's also fascinating. He says, everyone who is of the truth does what? Listens to my voice. Why? Because they recognize it as the voice of the invisible God made visible, of the incomprehensible God made comprehensible, of the intangible God entered into the world in the most tangible fashion, like one of us, come into the world to speak the truth. The truth hits their heart, and they go, ah, that's right. And not mostly right, and not maybe right, and I'm pretty sure it's right. I think it's right. It is right. And they take the truth who is Jesus from out here. And his word, which is the Bible, from out here. And piece by piece, and it's not, it's a messy process, guys. It's not like super easy to do. But by the power of the Spirit, over time, they build a life upon it. And the life that they build upon it in the end is an unsinkable life, which is what Pilate fails to do. And we know that, for Pilate then says to Jesus, and you can can feel the sigh in this, like it just 
seems so cynical. He says, what is truth? And then he doesn't stay to hear the answer, which tells you that he wasn't really asking. It says that after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in Jesus, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. That's now, he's saying. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, this Jesus that you've brought to me, or this other guy, Barabbas? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. And John says, Barabbas was a robber. And we know from elsewhere in the Bible that that he was more than a robber, he was an insurrectionist, which kind of is a nice way of kind of wrapping this all up in some sense because as an insurrectionist, he really gives us a pretty beautiful picture of ourselves. And I say that because the truth about all of us, me, you, everybody, everywhere, is that we have moved through life in greater and lesser degrees and certain times and to some degree probably in every season of our lives as insurrectionists against the very God who created us. We we grate against His reign and rule. We decide for ourselves what we want to obey and receive into ourselves. You get the idea? We are insurrectionists. We're failed as followers. And yet, what does Jesus do for Barabbas? Because it's what He does for us. He takes the cross that the guilty man deserved. The guilty man goes free. And so it is for us. Jesus came into the world to take the cross that we deserved so that though we are guilty, the innocent one would be punished for our guilt in our place. And we would go free. And not free from Rome, free from sin, free from guilt, free from shame, free from meaninglessness and purposelessness and hopelessness, free from lovelessness, and in the end, free from death. So that brings me to the final truth about truth, which is simply that truth is something that you surrender to. It's something that you kind of go, you know what, okay, Jesus, in light of who you are, in light of who I am and am not, in light of what you've done for me, like you know everything, which means you know everything about me, which is kind of terrifying. And yet you gave your everything for me. In light of that, I I want to take you from out here, and I want you to take up your residence by your Spirit in me, in here, and bring your word with you. Because I need to be rescued not just from all my failures. I need to be rescued by the truth from all of the untruths that I believe and have lived out and that have enslaved me. I need to build a life on you. That's the unsinkable life. And that's what our community needs to see. They need to see it in us, and they need to find it in Jesus. So truth matters. It comes from outside of us. And it's something, or really someone, that you surrender to. All right, so with all of that in mind, I want to ask you some questions as we enter into a time of reflection together. And question number one is this. Where do you get your truth? Do you get it from in here, or do you get it from out here? And what are you doing with the truth of God out here? Like, are you going, I'm going to take that part in here, but that part stays out there. (laughs) We all play that game, do we not? We're called to surrender. Surrender to the one who knows it all and gave his all for you. Secondly, what do you value more than God's truth? You know, like, what is the threat? Like, okay, the reason I don't take that part is because... Because that's a a confession point where you just go, well, you know what, Lord, whatever this is, I'm... 
I value it more than you, and I need to not. I'm looking to it to give me something that it can't, actually. And then the last one is just, are you willing to surrender to the one who knows your everything and has given his everything for you? So if you guys would stand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and I'm going to give you some space in the prayer so that just you can pray. If you want, you can go pray with somebody. You know, we have folks who, who make themselves available to pray on the sides of the room and uh, in the back of the room. And, and really, that's for you to just kind of go, you know what, I, I don't, I'm not even sure what to say. Like I just, but I know that I need somebody to pray for me or with me or guide me through it. I want to take advantage of that. Please do that. But otherwise, let's, let's pray together and then you, you interact with the Lord. Father, we thank you that you have not left the world devoid of truth. God, we thank you that you have not left us devoid of truth. But that by your, by your spirit, you have given us your word, both in writing and in person. We praise you for the one who knows everything, including all of our everything. You gave us everything for us. Come into the world to testify to the truth. Work in our hearts, Lord. Soften us to the truth. Humble us before the truth. Reveal to us who you are, because that will humble us, that we might see who we are. Desperately broken and yet desperately loved. Just take a few minutes and talk to the Lord about his truth, about what you find as a threat, about what you are resisting, about where you need to surrender. Talk to him about that.